following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. If you have your Bibles, let's open them up. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Last week we learned how the triune God has blessed his church with the Holy Spirit as well as spiritual gifts. Their purpose is not for anyone's personal gain, not to get proud or puffed up about, not about their own agenda. Paul wants the believers in Corinth and us to know and understand that the gifts of the Spirit are along with the centrality of Jesus Christ's core to the building up of the body of Christ. This chapter is one of three places where various gifts given by God are listed. We looked at those last week. Romans chapter 12, a list of seven typically referred to as the motivational gifts. Ephesians 4, five gifts listed typically referred to as the ministry gifts. And then the ones that we're to look at this morning here in 1 Corinthians 12, nine of those typically referred to as spiritual gifts. We noticed last week in verses 4 through 6 how all of these gifts have been given, as I said a moment ago, by the triune God and how they beautifully blend and interconnect with each other. Everyone receives one of these gifts that we see in Romans, I believe, that the ones in Romans, again referred to as motivational gifts, typically come at birth. Well, not typically, I believe they do. Everyone receives one of those at birth. And then, and here's the exciting part, when we are born again and become followers of Jesus Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5, the Lord Jesus then opens up ministry for those gifts. And then according to chapter 12, verse 6, the Father comes along and energizes them and all for his glory. Every believer has a spiritual gift that has come from God. Well, why? Jesus answers that question in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you, and here it is, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The gifts and abilities are given to be used. To be used as witnesses for Jesus Christ. Okay? And therefore, having a good understanding of the spiritual gifts will help us. I totally hope will help us not be afraid of them, and, and also will help us not to dismiss them, okay, for the church today. And so God wants to energize what we are, what we are doing for him in, as we mentioned again last week, in a supernaturally natural way in order to advance his kingdom. Another way of saying build up the body of Christ. So let's pick it up at verse 7. It says, Now to each one 
the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The word manifestation means to make known. The gifts and ministries and operations are made known through our lives and so that we can write, we, not so that we would, you know, get excited about that and then write them down in our journals and do nothing with them. No, that's not why they are given. They're given so that we would use them to bless others, okay? Paul elaborated on the themes of unity and diversity and distribution, first stating that God gives the manifestation, a manifestation of the Spirit to each person, not to some special ones. I want us to hear this because I think sometimes we might get kind of thinking and, well, you know, so-and-so is, you know, the, a, a pretty good Christian and, um, you know, and God, sure, God's going to bless them, but probably not me because, you know, we may not consider ourselves much of a Christian, but we need to know that God, really his idea and his plan is to bless everyone with a manifestation of the Spirit because his plan and his intention is that everybody be used by him. Amen? Not just some, everybody. Remember, the verse says, for the common good. That includes all of us. And so God wants us to know that he gives these not just to some special ones, nor some smarter ones, or to the wealthier ones, not even the extroverted ones, to everyone. That doesn't leave anybody out, does it? Everyone. All believers, Paul isn't only talking here about the Spirit's indwelling presence that comes at salvation and with salvation, but of the manifestation of the Spirit. This terminology indicates that every believer has some evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in his or her life. And the manifestation of the Spirit has a particular goal. Once again, Paul says, for the common good. Peter comes in on this, and he writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to do what? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And because it is all for the common good, I do believe that every gift listed here in chapter 12 is available to everyone at any given time with, in, with regards to whatever the need might be. Did you hear what I just said? The point being is, some, I think, out there think and believe that, you know, maybe one of these is yours and that's the only one you ever get to use. And I don't believe that. I believe God makes every gift available to everyone. But here's the question I have for us. And so we see that God does make available his gifts, manifestations of the spirit to meet the needs that you might be encountering. Here's the question, though. He makes them available. Are we making ourselves available? to be used by him in this way. Verse 8, we begin with the first gift listed. It says, To one there is given through the Spirit 
The message of wisdom. This is commonly referred to as the gift of wisdom. The word of wisdom. It doesn't come from one's ability to figure out a situation. This doesn't have to do with how smart you are or your intellect. It is supernaturally given to answer a question or solve a problem. Supernaturally. It is a spiritual word at a given moment through the spirit. Supernaturally disclosing the mind, the purpose, and the way of God as applied to a specific situation. Teacher. They said, bringing with them a woman who had been caught in adultery. Moses says that she should be stoned. What do you say? Of course, we know that they're trying to trap Jesus, right? What do you say? If Jesus would have said stone her, he would no longer have been thought of as the friend of sinners. On the other hand, if he said, let her go. He would be in violation of the very law that he came to fulfill. So what did he say? Now, before I go further, and some of you already know what he has said, here's my, guys, we got to catch this. Because I think so often, and maybe some of you, maybe even to this moment, have just thought of this, well, of course, it's Jesus. What else would he say? (laughs) What else would he have done? You and I have probably thought in times we read these things and just kind of maybe it just went right on past us and thinking, well, yes, of course, it's Jesus. Yes, he's going to do miracles. Yes, the power of God will be active and through his life. But here's what we need to understand. He did all of that, not as Jesus, the son of God, but as a man. Now, we say we fast forward and we say when Jesus endured the crucifixion of the cross. What do we say? What do we believe? He did that as a man, right? Then you back up and you have to know then that everything he did, he did as a man. Walking with the Spirit. Allowing the Father to engage him and bless him and use him through these very gifts. Okay? Now, so what did Jesus say? He spoke a word of wisdom, the gift of the word of wisdom. Boom, right there, coming through Jesus. Let anyone of you who is without sin, (laughs) go ahead, throw the first stone. Wow. John chapter 8, right? Verse 7. So even as it flowed in Jesus Christ, we see the word of wisdom flowing in the body of his followers as well, in their lives. In Acts 15, there was an issue going on whether the new Gentile converts should be circumcised or not. And many were saying, yes, they should. Paul, however, is concerned about this. And he says, you know what? I think we need to go over to Jerusalem and let's let's get with the guys there and, and come up with an answer, come up with the conclusion. They go to Jerusalem. This big meeting takes place with the church fathers. They're debating back and forth. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of that meeting, James, who is the leader of the church at that point, stands up. And he speaks a word of wisdom. And when he does, it settles the dust. Why? Because I think the people in that meeting at that point in time understood 
And they recognized that God was speaking and operating through a manifestation of the Spirit. As they give some good counsel, God's counsel, God's way of working out this particular solution and problem. And so, church, I pray that you would pray that the Lord would give you in a moment that it is needed the operation of the word of wisdom in order that you would express that which is right in the sight of the Lord and that which would be understood and recognized as a word from the Lord. Amen? Continuing with verse 8 and says, To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. The word of knowledge is a supernatural revelation of information pertaining to a person or event given at for a specific purpose, usually having to do with an immediate need. In other words, this gift receives information that could not have possibly been known by the person who has just received it, okay? Once again, Jesus is fully man and operating in these gifts, okay? We, it's, it's so important that we, we understand that. He's empowered by the Spirit, the point being just as we can be as well, folks. Amen? Just as we can be as well. Go call your husband, Jesus said to the woman at the well. I don't have a husband, she answered, and, and I can just see Jesus through loving eyes. A warm smile on his face looks at her and says, you have said right. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're with now isn't your husband. Can you just picture this woman's jaw dropping? <laughs> now, was this the result of some undercover investigation? <laughs> Had Jesus sent out his guys to get the scoop on this lady? No, not at all. At that moment, inspired by the Spirit, Jesus knew what could not have been known apart from revelation. He spoke a word of knowledge. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Ananias, Peter said. Remember that one? Acts chapter 5. Well, how did Peter know that Ananias was lying? A word of knowledge. God lets him know. Peter gets information from the Spirit that could not have previously been known, that he could not have known. The supernatural operations aren't ours to use just whenever we think we can, but only as the Holy Spirit moves and wills, okay? Be that once every five years <laughs> or once Every five, five times a day, you know. I think the, man, the word of knowledge most readily manifests itself when it's connected and related to the teaching of God's word. And this is exciting because it can happen not only for someone like what I'm doing right here, but even for the Sunday school teacher teaching the third graders. Yes, yes. You see, we've prepared lessons. We've prepared messages. And in the moment that we are delivering those lessons and messages, the Holy Spirit can come on the scene and quicken a thought, bring a word of knowledge 
that was not previously understood, that did not previously get studied or found out and put in some notes, and boom, it happens. And it's exciting when God does that. I've been doing this for 40-plus years, and it's always exciting and whenever now and then. As I am speaking to you, you don't know that you're not aware that this is going on. The Holy Spirit might speak something to me that I speak to you, but it just came in that moment. And so God does speak and work in that way. It's like a divine aha moment that takes place in the moment. <laughs> and God wants us to experience that as well, not just preachers and teachers, but you as well. As you're living out and your life teaching and being a letter of God's word. Amen. And then in verse 9, to another, faith by the same spirit. This is referred to as the gift of faith. It is a unique form of faith that goes beyond natural faith and saving faith. It supernaturally trusts and does not doubt with reference to the specific situation involved. May no one ever eat fruit from you again, Jesus said to the fig tree. In Mark chapter 11, the very next day, we read there were the disciples who along with Jesus are walking by that tree and they're, they are amazed. Why? Because that tree had dried up and withered to its roots overnight. And Jesus basically just says to them, have faith in God. Such is church the potency of faith. Every believer has a measure of faith. You know how I can say that? You would not be born again if you didn't. Amen? I believe God looks for and longs to find those who would have the courage to step out and trust without doubt and make themselves available for God to use in this way. A way where, because of an exercise of faith, things happen that wouldn't happen otherwise. Peter said to the lame man in Acts chapter 3, a lame man that he has seen for years. He's hanging out just outside of the temple. The Bible tells us at the beautiful gate. He didn't just now show up. He's been there. And we, let, and we are told in Scripture that he's been lame from birth, right? So he's been there a long time. John and Peter have seen him repeatedly. Only this particular day, as they're coming out of the temple, God moves on them and quickens them with a manifestation of the Spirit. And Peter looks at the guy intently, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, stand, walk. Now, was that Peter doing that? No. The gift of faith in that point was taken over. The people who were watching that take place, that exercise of faith, Scripture tells us we're astonished. <laughs> and Peter says, what? Why are you so surprised? <laughs> Do you not know that this is what God can do? He continues and further explains, this isn't us doing this. 
This is God's doing. And faith comes and touches this man, and he's completely healed because of it. In other words, Peter said, it's not our faith. It's not because of our fasting. It's not because of our praying. It's not because we're so holy. God gave us the faith at this moment to take this man by the hand and speak words of faith to cause him to stand. The operation of faith is the ability to step out in response to the leading of the Holy Spirit and to do something that you otherwise would not have done. Just a quick little question once again. How many times has the Spirit of God quickened your heart and mind to step out? And I'm speaking to myself as well, but we chickened out instead. And our thoughts went something along these lines, but what if nothing happens? Wrong question. The question should be, but what if something does happen? Amen? Amen? Let's not chicken out. Let's step up and trust God when he quickens us in that way. Reading on again in verse 9, to another gifts of healing by that one same spirit. The gift of healing in its purest form are those healings that God performs supernaturally and without human aid. Okay, important words there, without human aid. Now, the question immediately arises, well, what about doctors and medicine? Can't God work through those? And, and, you know, and I'm certainly not going to say no, he can, and we know that he does. Here's the point, though. Yes, he can work through that, but that is different from this gift that is being talked about here. There is a gift of supernatural gift of healing where there is no human aid required. And then, yes, God can work through doctors and medicine. And I would add to that at this point then. I think where it can be still be connected to the supernatural is that there are, say, a couple other gifts involved. And what do I mean? Let's say a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, which we've looked at already, is connected. And God reveals to someone something that's going on in someone's body that has not been disclosed. No doctor's been able to figure it out, so on and so forth. God discloses that through a, one of these other gifts, prescribes some sort of way to go you know, take care of that that may involve doctors and medicine, medicine. And so at that point, I think we can don't have to dismiss that it's a gift of healing at that point because God was supernaturally still involved in that way. Verse 10, to another, miraculous powers. The gift of miracles is a manifestation of power beyond the ordinary course of natural law. It is a divine enablement to do something that could not be done naturally. It is supernatural power to intervene and counteract, I think for the most part, earthly and evil forces. Okay? When Jesus talked about the miraculous, like the things that he mentions and talks about in Mark chapter 16, drinking poisons that would not hurt, handling 
deadly serpents that would not harm, speaking with new tongues, laying hands on the sick, and seeing them recover, it's important to see that these wonderful miracles taking place, every single one of them, please don't miss this, are connected to the Great Commission. Okay? As seen in Mark chapter 16. The miracles of that chapter are not intended for us to huddle together here in the sanctuary so that we can see a miracle. No, it's so that we might see them happening out there in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the community as we are sharing Jesus Christ, living Jesus Christ. And then when we do that, he will confirm our message with manifestations of the Spirit. Let's not forget, church, that the operation of miracles is primarily for the unbeliever. Why? Because the believer's faith is, is typically and for the most part not increased by seeing miracles. You say, well, what are you talking about, Gabe? What I'm, Dave, I'm talking about this. God dedicated an entire period of history to prove that point. You read Exodus and you read the book of Numbers and you will see how the people of Israel were blessed with miracle after miracle after miracle on a daily basis. Red Sea parting, manna coming from heaven. I mean, you could just go on and on and on and name all those things that God did for them. A cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Yet, with all those miracles on a daily basis that those people experienced, what was the end of their story? They are not allowed to enter the promised land. Why? Because of unbelief. <laughs> now, I think some believers tend to lose heart with the church service, citing that it's because nothing happens down there. Could it be that God might be saying to us, if you want to see me move, you move. <laughs> Come on, church. You want to see a move of God God might be saying to us, I want to see you move beyond these four walls out there where we work, where we live, taking Jesus. And then through our lives and through our witness, Acts 1.8, he will confirm his message with supernatural operations. How many of you interested in being used by God? Are you willing to step up and move out and trust him? People think if they could just see a miracle or two that their faith would soar. I don't think so. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tells us something different. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. <laughs> yeah. For the believer, the way to grow in faith is not to see the miraculous, but to take in the scriptures. It is for the unbeliever that God will confirm his word with signs and wonders. 
This is why as we're involved in missions, in evangelism, in service to the unbeliever and to the skeptic, that the Lord will most often confirm his word through the miraculous. And then it says, to another, prophecy. The gift of prophecy is a divine disclosure on behalf of the Spirit, an edifying revelation of the Spirit for the moment, a sudden insight of the Spirit prompting exhortation, encouragement, or comfort. It is a supernatural proclamation. The operation of prophecy is not foretelling the future in this sense, but to foretell God's heart. Prophecy consists of words of edification, exhortation, and comfort, as I just said, spoken at the very time they are most needed. And they will be words from God, and they will have their impact as they're intended because God will see to it. And then it says, to another, distinguishing between spirits. This is referred to as the gift of discernment. It is the ability to discern the spirit world and especially to detect the true source of circumstances or motives of people. It implies the power of spiritual insight, supernatural revelation of plans and purposes of the enemy and his forces. In Matthew 16, we read, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. You remember Jesus had been asking who the people say that I am. And then Jesus turns the question back to his disciples. But who do you say I am? And Peter blurts out, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by God. But then only a few verses later, in response to the denial of his crucifixion, when Jesus told Peter what he was going to be doing, Jesus said to this very same Peter, get behind me, Satan. In one moment, good word, Peter. God just worked through you. And then in the very next moment, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> He discerned, Jesus discerned the work of Satan in that moment. As we're involved in caring about people, sharing with people and helping people, we need to discern if what they're saying is coming from the Lord or the influence of demons, perhaps simply the result of their own human perception and influence of this world who happens to be under the influence of our enemy. Listen to these men. They're speaking about the most high God, a girl said of Paul and those who were traveling with him in Acts 16, discerning she was under demonic influence. However, Paul demanded that the demon leave her. This is interesting, isn't it? Yes, she's saying the right words. But Paul was given the discernment in that moment to sense a demonic spirit behind those words. Oh, how we need these gifts 
to be in operation in our lives. Would you agree? And how we need them, especially in our day. Amen. The rest of verse 10, it says to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and then and to still another the interpretation of tongues. Because Paul is going to discuss and get into a whole lot deeper this topic on the tongues and interpretation. He includes prophecy as well in chapter 14. We will deal with these then. So I'm not sweeping them under the carpet here. They just we will deal with them in a whole lot deeper way in chapter 14, just as Paul does. Okay. So verse 11. And all these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. I will say that the last two gifts listed here, the last two of the nine, are the only two that are really new to the New Testament church. My point is all others, the, other, the first seven, already in operation and can be seen can be seen in the old testament that's my that's what i'm saying the only two that are new in that sense in the new testament church are the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation and then for verse 11 it says all spiritual gifts come from one and the same spirit they are all legitimate and important for the church because if for no other reason church it's because they come from the holy spirit okay that puts some important emphasis on this, don't you think? They come from the Holy Spirit and he distributes them however, whenever, to whomever he desires. And that's good news for every single one of us, right? So church, exercise the gifts, the manifestations of the Spirit that come to you. And take hold of the opportunities for ministry that are being placed before you. Yes, you can join the mass of churchgoers who sit in their seats, fold their arms, and watch like spectators as just 20% of the church members actually do anything. <laughs> And even as we would come to exercising spiritual gifts and do the work of the ministry. But when you do fall into that mass of churchgoers and do nothing, you must realize that you are squandering the gifts of God. That he's given you, wanting to give to the church, to bless the church with, for the purpose of building up the church. If you refuse to use your gift or gifts, people who are lost will remain lost. And your brothers and sisters in Christ miss out on an important means of spiritual growth and encouragement, exhortation, and worse, your creator is robbed of the glory that he rightly deserves. Think on those things, okay? Father, we come before you and we thank you that you love us, 
that you care about us and that you have equipped us to do the work of the ministry. Not just some, but it's always been your plan. It has always your, been your intention, God, that this is for everybody. Everybody having gifts or gifts for the purpose of being used to build up the body of Christ. Everybody has something to do. Everybody plays a part. And when we don't play that part, the church suffers because of it. And like I've just said, Lord, and you as our creator don't receive the glory that you so rightly deserve. And so, God, I pray that you impress upon us to move, to move out and trust you, to be people of faith, to be people who will make ourselves available to you, God. This is my prayer for all of us. And I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift